When it comes to your Christian faith, do you know for sure that what you believe is true? In a world that says truth is relative, it's vital to be certain. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah begins a series in 1 John that was written to answer the question, how do you know if you've been born again? To open the series, Living in the Light, here's David to introduce the importance of knowing. Hey, thank you so much. Can you imagine anything more important than to enter the last uh, few weeks of the year and the last few days of the year with an emphasis on knowing what you know? I have a lot of people who tell me that it doesn't really matter what you know, it's how you feel. Well, have you discovered that how you feel depends on what you know? <laughs> and so we're going to talk about how important it is to know what you know and how to make sure that you know that you know you're a Christian. First John talks about that, and today is our first lesson there. It's um, really important to know what you know. We are beginning a new series. We're ending an old month, and that kind of stretches your thought process a little bit. So just let me remind you that in this old month we're ending, we offered a book called Romans, the Written Word Journal, and we're still going to make that available today and tomorrow. If you've been thinking about getting this and beginning your little a spiritual discipline of writing the Scripture in your own handwriting, I'd love to send it to you. Just send a gift of any size to help us with what we're doing to get the gospel out. And uh, ask for your copy of the Romans Journal, and we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. Also, uh, we're down to the last two days to tell you about the Caribbean Cruise Conference. Uh, We won't have any ability to advertise this after tomorrow. So if you've been thinking about going with us and have just been kind of um, procrastinating, let me encourage you to get serious because uh, we're taking a group of folks December 30th through January the 8th to some beautiful places in the Caribbean aboard a beautiful Holland American ship with a bunch of godly people and worship leaders and friends and We're going to have a great time together. We'd love for you to come. Uh, If you're planning to do it, you need to get in gear and get it done. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in just a few days. Right now, this is part one of Living in the Light, the importance of knowing. Today, I want to talk with you about the importance of knowing. The importance of knowing. In the end of... First John and the fifth chapter. John the Apostle writes these words in verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Now stop for a moment right there. John is saying that this book we call First John was written with the express purpose behind its having been written that you and I might know something. Notice the rest of the verse. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What is the purpose for 1 John? It was written expressly, pointedly, purposely, so that you and I would be able to say, I know that I have eternal life. And when you say to people today that you know that you have eternal life and that you're going to heaven, if they are not people of the word, they look at you like you're an arrogant person. 
They think, who in the world do you think you are that you could say that you already know you're going to heaven? Nobody's that good. And of course, when they say that, you realize immediately they don't understand the scripture. John says that we can know that we have eternal life. Now, it's interesting to me that John gives to us the purpose of two books that he writes in a way that is very uncharacteristic of the New Testament writers. For instance, he tells us here in 1 John, the reason I wrote this book is so that you might know that you have eternal life. When he gets to the end of his long gospel of 21 chapters, at the end of the 20th chapter of the gospel of John, he does something very similar. Notice John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where we hear John once again saying, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Here's the purpose for having written these, he says. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. Here's a good Bible lesson. John wrote the gospel so that we might believe, and he wrote 1 John so that we might know what we believe. Some people believe that the Gospel of John and 1 John traveled together in the early days of the church and that 1 John was like a commentary on the Gospel and that whenever you studied the Gospel of John, then you would just study 1 John and get insight from 1 John into the Gospel. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know these are two books in the New Testament which more than any other books I'm aware of tell us right at the outset of understanding the book, here's why the book was written. John's gospel is filled with the signs of Jesus Christ's miracles. When you study the gospel of John, you realize that Jesus wasn't just a normal human being. He was something special. He was God. John comes to the end of his book and he says, These signs I gave you so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now he comes to his first epistle and he says, I want you not only to believe, I want you to know. There's never been a time when it has been more important for us to know, church. Many false teachers have come into the church, and there are all kinds of cults everywhere today. You know that cults don't start outside the church. They start within the church. They come within the church, and they begin to sow discord in the church and sow bad doctrine in the church. If for one week you could read the letters that we get at Turning Point, you would realize that false doctrine is running rampant across this country. It's important if you're a Christian to know what you believe and to know that you do believe because it's a time of the sowing of great discord. And John's going to say here in his epistle that already he said there are many antichrists that have gone out into the world, many who are teaching against Christ. So it's important to know because of the church culture in which we live. And of course, you know that out in our culture outside of the church, we live in an age of toleration, an age of multiculturalism, an age when it's not fashionable or politically correct to say that you know anything for sure. And people will say to you when you tell them that you know, how can what you know be any important than what I think I know? It's your truth and my truth, but there's really no the truth. And yet here is John, the apostle of Jesus, in the sacred word of God telling us that it is possible to know what you believe and to know that what you believe is the truth. And it is not part of a very colored kind of truth that is fashionable for everyone. There is one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's not arrogant and belligerent and mean-spirited. It's the truth. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. 
What about that don't you understand? Jesus said he is the way. And John says it's really important for us to know that we have the faith. It's not a good thing to be around in the culture in which we live today with seeds of doubt floating around in your heart. You need to know. In fact, in 2 Peter 1.10, Peter says this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure, for if you do these things, you will not stumble. Peter says it's important for us to be sure and to make our election and our calling sure. And he says there's some things we can do to make that happen. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says it this way, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? It's a good question. It's one thing to make a profession of faith, to go through the motions of conversion. But it is important in the day in which we live for it to be far more serious than that. It must be something we know. So here in 1 John, written by the apostle and supposed to have been a part of the gospel, perhaps even an addendum, John goes into detail to describe what is involved in knowing He tells us what it means to be born again. In the Gospel of John, he explains what it means to be born again. That term comes up in the third chapter of John for the first time when John's meeting with Nicodemus. You remember when he came to Jesus by night and Nicodemus says, you know, good master? And Jesus said, unless you are born again, born of the Spirit and of water, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But now in 1 John... I want to show you something today that I think is really unique. It's one of those things that you find in the Bible if you study it carefully that are just jump out at you once you see it. Five different times in 1 John, the apostle talks about what it means to be born again or to be born of God. And in every single place where he uses the term born of God, he gives to us a test that we should apply to our own lives to determine whether or not we are born of God. In other words, John is saying to us in 1 John, if you want to know what a Christian looks like, here's how you can tell. Here are five ways to determine if a person is really a Christian. And I want to take you to these five clear passages, which are, (laughs) they're undeniably clear. You can see the truth just jump out of the verse and you say to yourself, oh yes, I see that. Five passages where John talks about being born of God and what a person looks like who's been born of God. The first one is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the first test you have to take is the faith test. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, you cannot be a Christian. What does it mean when it says Jesus is the Christ? The word Christ means Messiah. He's the promised one. This verse says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that person is born again or born of God. John 1, 12 and 13 says it this way, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. John tells us 
that if you're claiming to be a Christian, there's a test you need to take. It's the faith test. What do you believe? You can't be a Christian without believing something, or perhaps I should say it, believing someone. You don't become a Christian just because you go to a Christian church or because you're in a Bible study or because you sing praise choruses. All over our country, there is a sweeping movement of praise and worship, and it's a wonderful thing. But if it never goes any deeper than just the singing of songs and melodies to a deep faith in Jesus as the Messiah, there will be many people who praise their way right into an eternity apart from Christ. You cannot get to heaven through praising. You get to heaven by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to note that this is a very strong doctrinal passage and a very strong doctrinal book. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the fourth chapter. And I want you to follow along as I read a paragraph from the fourth chapter where John teaches us what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen carefully. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, let's examine this passage of Scripture carefully. John was writing this letter at a time when a certain philosophy was sweeping through his culture, a philosophy called Gnosticism. The best I can describe it and the best way I can illustrate it, it was like a lot of the New Age stuff that's going on today, kind of mysterious, kind of, whoa, you know what I'm talking about? And the idea was that while Jesus, yeah, he's the Christ, but he hasn't always been the Christ. Some of them believe that when Jesus was baptized, that Christ came into his body at that time. They taught a lot of weird and strange things. And so John is not only writing to encourage us, he was writing to straighten out some of the problems that were going on in his culture. And I want you to notice carefully this test. This test involves a confession or an open declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Let me ask you this question, you who may have some doubts in your mind. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is God in the flesh? Amen? Amen? Well, that's how you begin to know that you're a Christian. Now, let's go down through this and look at every phrase. In this phrase here in the fourth chapter, John teaches us about the preexistence of Christ. He says, he is come. What does that mean? That means he didn't start when he was born in Bethlehem. He came to Bethlehem having existed already. That was his preexistence. He came in the flesh. That's his incarnation. That means... He was born into the womb of Mary, but he didn't begin in the womb of Mary. He came and he incarnated himself in a human body. He was God walking around in a body. You got that? He came in the flesh. The Gnostics taught that wasn't true. John says, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus existed before Bethlehem and that when he came to Bethlehem, he was born in the flesh and that he is Christ. Not only the pre-existence of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, but the deity of Christ. He is not simply the Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the Son of God. In this little passage of Scripture, John's giving us a complete doctrine of Christology or Christ. He's saying he existed before. He has come. He came in the flesh. He is made in the flesh. 
He is the deity, the Messiah, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the Son of God. And uh, he is human. It says he came into the flesh. Gnostics taught that Christ descended upon Jesus, but he came into the flesh. He was flesh and blood. And he is come, teaches us his eternity. Now, I don't want to dwell on all these points. I just want to tell you that here in the fourth chapter, John's making it very clear what you should know about Jesus. Now, the problem is, so many people say, I don't even understand this. You don't have to understand it all, but you can't disbelieve any of it. You have to accept it as true. You say, well, I don't understand it. And there's a lot about this I don't understand. But I know it's true. I know that Jesus is the Son of God who came to this world, was born at Bethlehem. He was God in a body. He walked around in a human body, went to the cross, hung on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. That's why I know I can go to heaven. Because Jesus is the Christ. I want to ask you, can you say in the words of this old hymn, I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. Look again at 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Notice. And this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God does not have life. Now, can you get any clearer than that? If you have Jesus in your heart, and you believe that he's the Son of God, you pass the faith test, right? Okay, you ready for test number two? Here we go. Test number two is the life test. And once again, we see this born of God passage. Look at 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The life test. Now, I want to give you some other passages here. You go through these with me. Look at them in your Bible because they're almost all right together in 1 John. And that way you'll know where to go and find them later. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. 1 John 3.10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. Now, in the book of 1 John, there are a number of places where if you read it carefully, you will see this. I think eight times. If we say, says John, if we say that we have no sin, if we say... If we say, John is teaching us that it's easy to walk around saying a bunch of stuff. You can say a lot. But if what you say doesn't match the way you live, if there's a major disconnect in your life, something's wrong. And we're going to get to this a little more seriously in a few moments. But what John is teaching us here is this, that if we say one thing and live another thing, If we say that we believe that Jesus is the Christ and then we live all week as if he doesn't exist, then maybe we ought to go back, as Peter tells us, and search our lives and see whether or not we're truly in the faith. He is not telling us that we become a Christian by doing good works. He's telling us that if we are a Christian, we will do good works. How many of you know if you can be saved and not be changed, something's wrong? The Bible doesn't say... There's a gradual reformation. The Bible says there's a dynamic transformation that comes from within. And as soon as we become saved, as soon as we're born again, it starts to have an impact on our life. How many of you know that you got saved after you accepted Christ? You started to get uncomfortable about stuff that never bothered you at all before. 
People come to me all the time and say, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, since I've been coming to your church, I quit drinking alcohol. Now, I don't want to get into the alcohol thing, but the thing that's interesting about that is I have not preached on that in a long time. But obviously, when they got saved, something became very uncomfortable for them in the way they were functioning, in the way they were living. And so, and I look at myself and I think, well, how did I do that? I didn't do that. The Spirit of God did it. Sometimes, folks, when you become a Christian, God puts his finger on something in your life, and it may not be the same thing for everybody, but he says, I don't want you to do that anymore. And so you start to change. It's not a combination of faith and works, but rather it's a demonstration of faith by works. And John's point is this. If you say you are born again, there ought to be some evidence of it in your life. It's not just something, you know, I get so sick and tired of people talking about being born again and then living like they don't even don't even know the meaning of the term if you're born again you can't do that now watch carefully how the bible protects this doctrine i think one of the things that's gotten us in a little trouble is we preach grace amen we're all for grace how many of you know that the bible says it's not of works that we are saved we don't have to work our way to heaven but it's by grace for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast right not the end of the passage. The next verse says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, do you see that whole passage together? We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, and God has already beforehand purposed that we should walk in those good works so that people would see who we are. The Bible says, We should do our good works in such a way that men should see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I went through the New Testament some time ago and I realized that almost every place where we are told that we are not saved by works, in the immediate context, Almighty God makes sure that we don't misunderstand what that means. Let me show you a couple of them. Notice Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Amen? Through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the book of Titus and you go down just a couple of verses, you see this in the 8th verse. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. You see what Titus is being taught by Paul? Paul is saying, Titus, just understand, it's not by works of righteousness that you were done, that you were saved. But three verses later, he says, but don't forget this. You were saved for a purpose, and that purpose is that you live in a righteous way. Titus 2.14 says this. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Amen. Amen. Hey, we have some more from this portion of 1 John. We'll, We'll deal with it tomorrow as we close out the month together. We've had a great month studying um the greatest chapter in the Bible. We have given you the opportunity to begin a new spiritual discipline by writing out the book of Romans in a beautiful hardcover journal that we've created just for you. This isn't available anyplace else except for right here. The Romans written word journal is yours. It's available to you for a gift of any size, and you must order it either today or tomorrow. Because if you don't, the offer goes away. December um, brings up a new resource. In fact, let me just tell you about that. It's our devotional 
for the new year, and I just saw it. Friends, it's beautiful. This leather devotional that we offer every December, I'm getting ahead of myself. I know that, but I'm just giving you a little heads up. You'll want to have that. Every Day with Jesus is the title. But before we get there, the Romans Journal is our way of saying thank you for your investment in Turning Point. So just send a gift. Send your best gift. Do the best you can as we head into the last month of the year and uh, ask for your copy of the Romans Journal, and we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Please be with us tomorrow as we close out the month together. And um, thanks again for your response to the teaching during the month of November. Uh, We have never taught the book of Romans chapter 8 by itself before. We were really, really uh, blessed to hear your comments. And um, we had a good time celebrating Thanksgiving week. Now uh, we're getting ready to enter into December. We'll have some teaching from 1 John and then all the Christmas programming Stay with us and be a part of what we do every day. Help us get the word out. Thank you so much. God bless you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Living in the Light, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Romans, the written word journal. Designed by David to help you know God's word more deeply by writing the book of Romans in your own hand. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Living in the Light, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you looking for an effective tool for studying the scriptures? Dr. David Jeremiah has created an incredible new resource to help you do just that. The Bible tells us again and again to write down God's Word, and it's a practice that has personally transformed my study of Scripture. That is why I have created the first, the Written Word Journal, so that you can join me in this powerful practice. I promise you, as you follow God's command to copy Scripture by hand, your study of God's Word will be stronger than ever. Here's more. This journal helps you create your own copy of Paul's letter to the Romans. On one side, you'll write selections from Romans word for word. On the other side, you'll record your thoughts, reflections, and prayers. When you donate any amount to support Turning Point, the written word journal is yours. If you give $60 or more, you'll receive the Romans 8 set, including this teaching series on CD or DVD and study guide. Order the book or the complete set at davidjeremiah.ca. Back again this year, the home for Christmas Channel from David Jeremiah and Turning Point Ministries. Fill your season with all your favorite holiday traditions, music, carols, laughter, scripture, pageants, inspirational Bible teaching, and more. Start streaming your Christmas favorites and discover new ones completely free. And enjoy the home for Christmas Channel at home, in the car, or anywhere you need a little Christmas. Visit turningpoint.tv to start streaming today. That's turningpoint.tv. Someone observed that many people are easily entertained. All you have to do is sit down and listen to them talk. I think there is a positive insight in that observation. 
There are many people in our world who would benefit from a listening ear, not for entertainment, but for encouragement. Many times in the New Testament, we are told to serve one another, love one another, and encourage one another. And it may be that the simplest way to do that is to listen to one another with a compassionate heart. Just as God listens to us, we should likewise listen to each other. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God listens on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.